Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this day, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to worship you, Father. Father, we thank you and praise you for this opportunity to provide your word to your people, Father, for the betterment of the kingdom. And we pray over it now that it will not return void, but it will accomplish what you set forth. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. <clears throat> so this older guy had been working out in the, um, in the gym a bunch. And he had started to see some results, and he was kind of proud of himself. And he was working with his trainer, and he was really getting after it. And this beautiful young lady walked in. And he reached over there, and he poked the trainer, and he said, What machine should I use that will most impress her? He said, Do what? He was like, no, I want to impress her. What machine should I use to most impress her? And the guy looked him up and down and looked around and he said, I would recommend the ATM machine in the lobby. <clears throat> Crystal thought that was funny. She also um, censored like two or three jokes this week. So it's been tough. <clears throat> All right. So, man, you know, sometimes I... I, I I have this, you know, big planned out ordeal of a series, and then sometimes I'm just working on a, a individual um, sermon, and, and, it, and it's, you know, I don't know if you ever prepared to, to do what I'm doing, you know, you have fun, man, it's, oh boy, it's fun. I'm trying to make sure that you're in God's Word, and, and in, you're in God's will, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, and, and you're hitting all the points that He wants you to hit, and this week... I have been all over the spectrum. I have worked on different points and different topics and different points and different... Almost every day. Almost every day the sermon has changed. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. It's all the same sermon. It's just a series. So then we're going to do a series called The Believer, right? Um, but today is the first day of the, uh, of the uh, of series. And um, man, this is a really easy sermon to listen to. Um, it's super easy to preach, so I won't step on anybody's toes today. Everybody in here will get along. Everybody will be happy, right? Okay, good. So it's on forgiveness. There you go. <clears throat> so forgiveness is one of the toughest topics to, to I mean, like, they're, they're two really hard topics to preach on, in my opinion, for me. Uh, one is money, we preached on that last week, and the second one is forgiveness, and we preached on that this week. So I don't know what we're preaching on next week. I don't know what the next part of the series is. But what we're going to talk about first is our forgiveness, right? Because really and truly, to be a believer, to be, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, you cannot do that without being forgiven. Is everybody okay with that so far? That we, we have to have the forgiveness of God to be a Christian, right? Because if we haven't accepted the forgiveness of God then we don't really fit the bill of what a Christian looks like. And I know that sounds really odd, but, but, but truthfully, if you just think about it for just a second. So, so man, I, the other thing is, is I normally, when I do my um, <clears throat> scripture references, I write them all down, and then I'm like, this is point one, and this is point two, and this, in my head, right? I mean, that's my goal. And then when I get up here and preach, it doesn't necessarily go one, two, three, four. Sometimes it goes one, nine, twelve, fourteen. And then I leave out like five or six. Today is one of those times. So we're going to go to like number six to start because that's just how I feel like the best way to start is. And it's a scripture that you've heard a bunch of times. If you've been in this church for very long, it's that you've heard it bunches and bunches and bunches of times. But not, really in this, um, not really in this sermon. 
So it's 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to start with verse... Man, let's say 19. For it is commendable if some bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer doing good, you endure it. This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And 22 is a, is a quote, right? This is a quote. He's quoting, he's quoting scripture. 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 23. For when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. But when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he thrusted himself to him who, just, who judged justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So when he's talking about what all's taking place, he's talking about whether or not, you know, as a child or even as an adult, if you do something wrong... It has consequences. And then you're, you get the discipline, action that comes with the consequences. And nobody feels sorry for you unless you're a grandparent, right? I mean, if you're a grandparent, all of a sudden, I mean, my mother and father disciplined me all of my entire life. Still do, right? Still, still, still. I'm 44. I don't need to, it's never going away. Yet if I discipline my children, right, it, they, they have a hard time with that. I mean, all the grandparents could say amen or not. It's okay. But, but when you discipline or when somebody endures hardship through no fault of their own, that's really tough, right? When you watch somebody who is being mistreated or not being treated fairly, that really hurts. That really hurts, right? But Jesus, he suffered for my sins. And he suffered for my sins to where he could forgive me. Because if he would have had sin, when he suffered, would he be suffering for my sins? Can't. When he paid my penalty, it was because he didn't have a penalty. So when he gave me forgiveness, because he took my sins to the cross, he gave me an opportunity to be blameless. Not by my doing, but by his doing. See, that, that's the difference. All right, so uh, <clears throat> Romans. Um, I think it's three, but let me get there. Yep. Romans 3.21. All right, so... Paul, and I've told y'all this before, but Paul wrote the book of Romans, and it's uh, the first five, six, seven chapters of Romans. It is a contradictory argument against himself. He argues both points of law and grace and grace and law against each other 
for a period of time, right? I mean, if you read the book of Romans, it sounds like you're arguing with yourself, right? So 321 says, But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God that has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. So there is no one, not, not Greek or Jew or Gentile or anybody, and, 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 and just to get it for people in here, there's no South Carolinians, Berkeley Countyites, no St. Stephenites, no, no nobody who's separated out that hasn't fallen short in sin and deserves death and hell. None, none, there are none. Because the sin was passed down from generation to generation through the blood of the Father, right? And through the blood of the Father, that sin was passed down by from human being to human being to human being. Which was the reason that it was necessary for the sacrifice for the Messiah to not have a human father. Because then the blood was not already full of sin, Okay, we everybody good so far? So when, when, when Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus' father was, was God. And he didn't have the sin nature or the sin tolerance or the sin ability in his blood. He was made perfect and blameless. And he came to save all of us who all, A-L-L, all, deserve death and hell. But by the forgiveness that he brought in his blood, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us from death and hell. He redeemed us from sin consciousness. When you go back and look at the messianic laws, right? When, when Moses sat down and, and, and went on top of the mountain and wrote down the Ten Commandments, and then those Ten Commandments turned into hundreds and hundreds of laws that they live by on a daily basis, right? Everybody in that system was focused on sin. Everybody. That's all they thought about. That's all they talked about. I mean, that's not all they thought about. But it, but it was forefront of everybody's mind that, I, that sin, 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 sin. And a lot of the stuff that happened in the Old Testament, we've already said, right, are if-then-buts. Right? God will give you a promise if, and then then, and then but if you don't. Right, But that sin confidence, consciousness, that, that but, right? you would hear the promise of God in the Old Testament. You would hear the promise of God, and then the word but. And almost unequivocally, every time there was an if-then-but, it was absolutely impossible for a human to live up to the if-then. The if then almost never, ever, ever, ever took place. Why? Because of the butt. The butt was so big. <laughs> sorry, no pun intended. The butt was so big that that's all anybody could look at, right? If you do this, then God will do this. But if you don't, this is what happens. It's what we do now, right? We focus on solely on the result of what's taking place and not the process of the growing, right? 
I mean, if you're a softball player or a baseball player, a lot of times you focus on the result of what's happening, right? My batting average, my RBIs, my ERA, my whatever, versus the quality of the work that you're putting in. I know, softball references. One day I'll grow out of them, I hope. I don't know. I don't know when that'll be. But what happens is, is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, every part of the focus was on the sin. Every part of the focus was on the sin. I mean, Cain killed Abel, and then Samson and Delilah, and all of the, I mean, every, every story, we focus in on the sin. We focus on the sin, on the shortcomings of the man, every time, right? And then when we got to the New Testament, all of a sudden, the deal changed, our forgiveness all of a sudden came from a place to where it couldn't be corrupted. There was not an if-then-but. There was only a promise of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. You, have, you are forgiven. Your slate has been wiped clean. I have been washed in the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, right, under the Old Covenant, when you sinned, and everybody did, when you sinned, they would go into temple and they would kill bulls and goats and doves and lambs and all kinds of stuff. And they would use that blood as a sacrifice to cover the sins of the people, right? The forgiveness was bought by blood, but it was only covered. It was never erased. It was never erased because the blood was only valuable for so long, and then all of a sudden we had to kill more bulls and goats and more doves and more lambs and more bulls and goats and more stuff and make more sacrifices and more sacrifices and more sacrifices. Why? Because we kept sinning and we kept sinning and we kept sinning. And the sacrifice that was being made was not valuable enough. It didn't hold the value that was needed to cover mankind. It only covered your little group. Your little family, it was your bull or your cow or your goat or your dove or your lamb. It only covered your little group. And it was a problem. Why was it a problem? Because it was never, ever, ever quenched, is the best word I got, the wrath of God. God is a just God. God looks at sin. God cannot stand sin. God justly judges sin. Justly. Justly. He did before time started. He continues to justly judge sin now. The difference is, is the forgiveness that was bought by the blood of bulls and goats was not very valuable and did not cover enough, right? It could not quench, it could not quench God's wrath. Well, when Jesus came, and Jesus came as a perfect lamb, holy and blameless, when he died, when they sacrificed him on the cross, the forgiveness of sin took place. And it's really difficult to understand, and I've told y'all this before, but I'm going to repeat myself. He died for my sin before any of my people ever got to this continent. He died for my sin before we, any of us in here, ever even really had any idea that our great, 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 how many greats you want to put in front of it, granddaddy was ever here. He died for my sin before I got here. And it's the audacity of people who say that 
You can't be forgiven for sins that you just committed when Jesus died for my sins before I got here. He died for my sins before I was saved, after I was saved, in the sins that I'm going to continue to do. See, that's the difference. It, the price of the blood of bulls and goats only covered the sin. The price that Jesus' blood, when he took it to the altar in the Holy of Holies, in the center of heaven, and he poured his blood onto the altar, he paid for our sins yesterday, today, and forever. The value of that blood when it hit the altar is atonement of our sins and forgiveness of our sins as we move forward as far as it is, as far as time goes on. Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not going to change. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So when we have the forgiveness of God... We know beyond a shadow of doubt, or gosh, I sure hope you know, and that's why we're preaching this topic, that you know that if you're saved and born again, your sins have been forgiven. They have been. They are currently. Now, if you go on to read Romans, and, and, and Paul gets into more arguments in Romans about where sin abounds, grace is much more abound, well, does that mean we shouldn't? Do what we're supposed to do, that we should go on sinning where God would have more glory. And he says, by no means, right? No, that's not the point. The point of the common, the, the, the current Christian, the, 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 our goal in life should be every day that we are trying to develop ourselves to be more like Jesus. We don't focus on the sins, or we should not be, we should not be focused on our sins, but we should be focused on the grace and love and forgiveness that we've already gotten. That when we have the grace and love and forgiveness, because I'd call her out, but she'd be mad at me. If you're pitching and you're trying not to not throw a strike, what are you focused on? you just focused on, please let it be a strike. Please let it be a strike. But when you're pitching and you're worrying about, and you're working on, I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to stand up tall. I'm going to have good form. I'm going to understand my training. I'm going to do the best I can. Same thing with hitting. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to do the best. I'm going to make a good swing. If the ball lands, it lands. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Same thing with work. I'm going to go to work today, and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my job to my dead level best. What would happen if you went to work focused on not making a mistake? What happens if you try to paint and you focus on not making a mistake? What happens if you take off running and you're working on not falling down? Is that what you focus on? Do you focus on the negative or the positive? Because if you're sin conscious, you focus on not making a mistake, not making a mistake, not making a mistake, not making a mistake. And that's not how Christians should live. Christians should live on, I'm doing my best. I'm working hard. I'm reading my Bible. I'm developing my skills. I'm being better Christian. I'm being more Christ-like every day. Now, do you make mistakes? Absolutely. Because if for some reason you could live without making mistakes, Jesus would have died for no reason. Understand? Understand that we are fallible. We are not perfect. We weren't made to be perfect. We fail. We fail. But the difference is, is, if you look at the law of sin and death and the law of grace is, law of sin and death is focusing on the negative outcomes that takes place every day, trying not to sin, trying not to sin, versus just doing what you're supposed to do to the best of your ability in developing your habits, right? I mean, <clears throat> man, I'm talking a bunch, sorry. 
the better we develop our habits, the better people we are. Right? I mean, really, if you want to be a, a, a productive member of society, you should have, like, bath habits, right? You should bathe kind of regular. You should have sleep habits, right? You should have eating habits. You probably should have some exercise habits, right? And everybody wants to talk about bad habits, but how about good habits? You know, I get into bed on time. I get up on time. I go to work on time. I'm dressed appropriately. I bathe. I, I wash my hands. I cook my food appropriately. I mean, all of those things we're working on, we're worried about. How about if you raised your children try not to make a mistake? You're going to make a mistake. Now, if you got a one-day-old, you might have not made a mistake yet. But if they're much older than that, you done screwed up a couple times. You, you done done some stuff you shouldn't have done. You told them things you shouldn't have told them. If you've been married more than about five seconds, you've done things that you shouldn't have done in your, in your marriage. I mean, the women already know you. I mean, if you're a man, your wife already knows you screwed up. I promise. She already wrote all those down. She's got them memorized. She, she knew them before you got up this morning. She got one that you did in 1983 and the one you did last week and the one you did two weeks. I mean, it, it, it's, it's... But what we should be focused on is understanding that the forgiveness of God is a river of His blood that washes over me, that protects me from the world around me. That I don't have to live in that sin consciousness. I don't have to worry about every day, Lord, just please don't let me sin today. Now, how silly is that? When we should be going, Father, I just want to walk in your grace and love every day, and I want to be the best Christian that I can be. The best spouse, the best parent, the best employee, the best friend, the best mentor, the best whatever. I want to be the best that I can be. I don't think that there's a, I mean, y'all might have some really unrealistic expectations, but I mean, does anybody in here think that they're perfect at doing something? Okay, good. At least we're on the same page. Because you're not. That We're not. So the forgiveness of God is so valuable to us that it gives us this opportunity to not focus on the bad, but it gives us an opportunity to focus on what? The gift from God that is the forgiveness, right? So the forgiveness of God is so valuable to us that it should be forefront in our head. That I'm forgiven, that I've been atoned, my sins have been atoned, that it's been washed away. God says he separated it as far as the east is from the west. I don't know how far that is, but that's a long ways, right? The east from the west, I mean, it don't ever stop. It keeps going that way and keeps going that way. Or that way and that way. Now, that's east and that's west. But, I mean, you, you get the idea. So as our forgiveness is, is concerned from God, it is an extremely valuable gift. And Paul says it's not from works, right? In Romans, he says it's not from works, lest anybody should boast. I'm better than you because I sin less than you do. You're a liar. You're a liar. You just sin different from me. You sin with something else I don't sin about. Right? I mean, the Bible talks about the sin that easily besets you. There's nobody in here that walks blameless. Nobody. That's why the grace of God in his forgiveness is so valuable. All right? That's half one of the sermon. Right? That that valuable forgiveness is so valuable from God that it should be in the forefront of our mind. Okay? All right. Now, 
So what other thing could we possibly talk about with forgiveness? Oh man, I don't know. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, chapter 18 and verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. And then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Peter was going to be a really good follower and a good Christian. And he said, up to seven times? I mean, that's pretty generous. I mean, you know, seven times is a lot. And at 22, Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Well, you know, you think, that's pretty tough. And I'm pretty sure that's in a day. But, you know, we, we won't get into the semantics of whether that's a day or a week or a month or a year. But 70 times seven is probably a pretty good amount. Now, you think about the people who have done something against you in your life that you can't forgive. I told y'all this was a good sermon and y'all was going to enjoy it. You think about the people who have done something in your life that you can't forgive. And you think about how many times you've forgiven them for it. Let's say it's a repeat offense. Let's just say. And if you can honestly say I've forgiven the same person seven times in one day for the same thing against me, I'd really like to see you pick your hand up. Because that's pretty impressive. I'm just going to say, if you forgive somebody for the same thing, for the same thing, over and over, at least seven times, that's pretty impressive. But Jesus said, I don't want you to forgive them seven times, but 70 times seven. Because see, what happens is, is in the Christian body, in, in, in this group, in my group, I won't say, in, 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 in me, it's what I do. Is I so valuable, it's so valuable to me, the forgiveness of God, right? Because of how poorly I know I have done in situations that have been leading up to now, right? I mean, I have instances that I have vivid memories of that the devil will not let me get rid of to where I know that no matter what, I need God's forgiveness in those situations, right? And then to flip that coin is, is to think about the times that somebody mistreated me now, not the times that I mistreated somebody else. Now, that's already been taken care of. God's already forgiven me. I'm talking about the times that somebody has mistreated me and how happy and excited and look forward to forgiving them. <laughs> Man, that's tough. That, that's really tough, right? And then over and over and over in the New Testament, and then we're not going to get to all of them. But there are times over and over in Colossians and Ephesians and Hebrews about how it says that I need you. He's talking, it's Paul and then the writer of Hebrews talking about how we should forgive each other. We should forgive each other. And it doesn't matter what it is. And then, you know, I hear that booming voice coming from the back of my head. is You don't know what they did. I get it. I don't know what they did. So I figured we would look at an example of somebody living in God's will and word to where maybe we could get an understanding of what we're talking about. You know, Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross and they were casting lots for his clothes, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. 
right? I mean, he made an excuse for me. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. But please forgive them. Please forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. But if you turn with me in the book of Acts, all right, so in the book of Acts, there, there is a man, some good stories, but in the book of Acts, uh, if you start at the beginning of chapter 7, which I'm not because it takes me about uh, 12 minutes to read it or something like that, 7, um, the book the, the book of Acts uh, chapter 7 talks about Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, right? This Stephen has been arrested for preaching the gospel, and they put him in front of the Sanhedrin. And as Jerry Clower would say, he shelled down the corn. He gave them one of the best sermons you ever want to hear. He goes back to Moses and he talks about how terrible they are and how they're vile. I mean, this is an amazing sermon, right? <clears throat> so he made them plenty mad, telling them about how they were hypocrites and how they were liars and they didn't do all that stuff. So if you go down to verse 54, um, Stephen just got finished talking, right? Well, let's go to 51 for just a second. So 51, he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are all uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet? Your ancestors did not persecute, right? He's, he's just telling them. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed him and murdered him. And you have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it, Right? He just told all the church people how bad they were. 54, and when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man is standing on the right hand of God. Oh, that's bad. In 57, and they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, all the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That was added for your benefit, right? Because that guy, young man named Saul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament later after God talked to him. 59, and while they were stoning him, as they were hurling giant rocks at his face, Understand? I mean, I don't know how much y'all got friends that do you wrong, but if any of them hurl giant rocks at your face, we need to talk about it after church. As they were hurling rocks at his face, Jesus, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, he didn't say they don't know what they're doing. They knew good and daggum well they knew what they were doing. They were punishing him for him calling them out. Even in the moment that they were stoning him, Stephen said, Lord, please forgive them. Lord, please forgive them. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's pretty high bar. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty high bar. I'm not talking about somebody talking mean about you. I'm not talking about somebody who owes you money. I'm not talking about somebody crossed you bad in a, in a bad deal. I'm not talking about somebody who has embarrassed you. I'm not somebody that has done you wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about throwing giant rocks at your face, smashing you to death. And in the middle of that, he stood and said, Lord, please forgive them. Now, I don't expect us as a group of <laughs> fallible humans to be able to stand in the presence of what Stephen did. 
<laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. It is by the Spirit of God that he did all of that. It was amazing. But it's a good example of who we should be. That no matter what is taking place, no matter what has taken place, that if God has forgiven you for the wretched things that you have done, that we should be able to forgive each other for the stuff that has taken place. And I hear you. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they acted. You don't know that they did it on purpose. I mean, I'm just going to point you to go read, go read Acts 7. As they're throwing rocks at my man's face, Lord, please forgive them. For there to be healing and unity in the body of Christ, forgiveness has to be on the forefront. Everybody has had offense. Everybody has had people treat them a way they don't want to be treated. Everybody has situations where it didn't go their way. And man, it was on purpose and you don't understand and he did me wrong. And I get, man, I get it. I understand. But let me tell you something. Holding unforgiveness against somebody is like you taking poison hoping they are going to die. It don't affect them at all. It does not affect the people you are holding unforgiveness against. It doesn't affect them. Do you understand? You don't control them. Everybody that God built has a free will. When you harbor unforgiveness, it hurts you. It eliminates the blessings of God for you. Because if you go in all the scriptures that I had written down that I'm planning on getting to, it talks about that God forgives you the way you forgive them. Now, that was before Jesus had died on the cross. But every time you want to say, well, look, you don't understand, and, and, and this forgiveness is different, and I'm just not built like that, and I don't know. No, 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 no. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Stephen standing getting stoned, no excuse. Jesus being hung on the cross, no excuse. And those are two really, really tall expectations. I get it. I don't expect you to be them. I expect you to be you. And you say, well, I can't forgive them and I don't know why. Well, then I'm going to tell you what I do. And it ain't great, but it's the best I got. It's the only thing I can count on. I go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to forgive them. I don't even want to like them. I don't even want to like them. But I know you want me to forgive them, and I want you to pray to help me forgive them in my heart. It don't cost you nothing. Don't cost you nothing. But a little bit of pride, it costs you a little bit of pride. It's going to take a second. But the more you will release unforgiveness out of your life, the more the ability of God has to bless you. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven for everything that we've ever done against anybody, against everything. Don't we owe that to our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to the world? Don't we owe that to them? <clears throat> There's a parable Jesus talks about to where this guy forgives the debt, but the guy this debt was forgiven doesn't forgive, right? I mean, is that who we want to be? Do we want to have our debt forgiven, our sins forgiven, yet we're going to hold alt against other people in our heart? That's, that's not a very good Christian. It's not a very good Christian. That's not a very good person. So, so I, I, I'm asking you, prayerfully this week, prayerfully, go to God. Say, I, I was hurt 
And he, God knows what you felt like. I was hurt. They bothered me. They harassed me. They said something about my child. They did this. They did that. They hurt my business. They did whatever. Please help me forgive them. And I promise you, if you will go prayerfully to God, that all of a sudden that burden of unforgiveness will be released. And the heaviness that comes with it will be removed. And you'll feel so much better. You'll feel so much better. You might even go tell them, hey man, I've been holding something against you for so long, but I finally forgave you and it feels so much better. I know somebody that did that and the person that he went to said, well, I don't even know what I did. That's how much it meant to them. Think about it. You're, you're, you're holding something against somebody that they may or may not even remember. All right? <laughs> Easy sermon. Y'all was real quiet. I love y'all. We're praying for forgiveness. We're praying for forgiveness of each other. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your wonderful forgiveness of, of us, Father. We thank you and praise you that our hearts will be open, that we will live in the forgiveness of the brethren, Father, and of the world. Father, we thank you and praise you that that spirit of unforgiveness will be broke, that <clears throat> Satan will have no authority in our bodies. Father, we will not continue to allow unforgiveness to hold us back from the person that we're supposed to be. And I just lift these folks up to you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.